This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. Earthquakes and hurricanes hit east and seaboard. Sounds like time to talk about Armageddon the movie. Yeah, and some guy named Jobs loses his job. Tech fan number 44. And welcome to another exciting edition of Tech Fan for Technology Enthusiasts. I think that includes both of us, David. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, do you like gadgets? <laughs> I just laughed wryly in their faces. <laughs> so <laughs> his name is David Cohen, uh, usually from the UK, but today in uh, super hot in the desert Las Vegas. Oh, okay. It is hot. It is. Really hot. Yeah. It is the desert. It, this is true, but uh, I was... You, you know, you kind of... You mentally prepare yourself for something. You know you're going somewhere hot. You think, oh, it's going to be hot, but yet, yet nothing kind of <laughs> reinforces it as, as when you walk out the airport gates and it's like walking into an oven. And my name is Tim Robertson, and uh, it's like... Oh, geez, it's, it's really cool here today, actually. Oh, well, anything's co- cool compared to where you're at. I think it's like 70 here right now. No, it's 61. Yeah, I've got I, no. I've got the well, it, I've got the air conditioning turned down to 60 degrees in the room. I, I figure, you know, for the next couple of days, uh, stuff the environment. <laughs> yeah. I I I don't I don't play that. If it's hot, I turn on the AC. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, and my wife is kind of just the opposite, David. She is hot. Or I'm sorry, she's cold all the time, it seems. For instance, yeah. last night we went and watched both our older daughters. One's a senior in high school now and one's a junior. They're in the marching band together. And they played a game. Well, they didn't. The, the football team did. At a college university yesterday. Cool. And the game didn't start until 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. And so that's that's a a long late night for the little kids yeah. that we had to take with us, Brooke and, yeah. and Cole. And I thought it was simply fantastic. I had jeans on, but I kind of wish I had shorts. A breeze would kick up every now and then. It was just perfect. Yeah. She's cold. <laughs> I'm like, really? You're cold? It's it's gorgeous out here. Um, <laughs> but there's you know we like tech so much, David. But there's no personal AC tech yet. No, I, I often think, um, because that, that situation with, you know, you and your partner where one's hot, one's cold, we often have that at home where I want to have the ceiling fan on because I'm warm and, and my wife is cold and doesn't want to. We need, that. you know, this, you get those systems in the car where you, you each have your own temperature on either side of the car. Sure. We need we need that for the bedroom, really. <laughs> well, you got those beds now that you can have your side is firm and her side is soft. Yeah. or. But I don't, I don't know, those kind of come across as a gimmick to me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so I've you seen, need a plastic plastic tent over your side with the AC plugged in. I, I it would never get turned off. I swear to God, I'm always yeah. hot. I'm kicking off my sheets. So uh, not a lot going on in the tech world, is there? <laughs> it's, been, it's been a pretty slow week, really. I mean, nothing to talk about at all, except for just everything. Seismic changes continue. I still blame you for your touchpad review. The, That's right. You started all of this. It did. It was it was the the beginning of the decline of everything. It seemed. So yeah. obviously Wednesday of this week, um, of last week, when most people are going to listen to this show, Steve Jobs resigned as CEO of Apple Computer, and uh, the web, at least the tech web, no, you know what, the web in general just kind of oh, exploded. Yeah. I mean, it was everywhere. It, was, it hit all the main mainstream news sources as a headline story. Mm. Um. You know, it it was interesting. Actually, you could see a lot of people had taken pre-prepared obituary material and kind of chopped and changed it because obviously it, it didn't need to. Be, it was a business obituary rather than a uh, rather than a, a real obituary. Thank goodness. Um, you could see that a lot of people were trotting that kind of stuff out rather than doing any real in-depth analysis. And you know, the mainstream media had in Britain had an awful lot of unusual pundits saying, you know, oh, Steve Jobs is irreplaceable. Question marks over Apple now. 
um, you know, they'll be all right for a year, but then things are going to go wrong. And, and, you know, the usual kind of barracking you get around Apple. I don't know what it is about. What is it about human nature that as soon as something becomes supremely successful, especially if it, if it came from, from nowhere, let's face it, from the late 90s, Apple was kind of on the ropes and, and has really been turned around by Steve Jobs. Why is it that people just want to bring it down and say, you know, can't wait for it to fail again? I think it's human nature. I, you know, you can look back at history and it's always the same. You know, when Atari was number one in video games, people wanted to bring it down. They were supporting the other platforms. When Nintendo was big, you know, everyone was buying Microsoft and PlayStation. Then PlayStation is big and, you know, it's in the video game market, it's really easy to see that. Uh, You can probably even go to like professional wrestling. I'm sure there's been, you know, other wrestling groups that weren't number one and people were rooting for them simply because they weren't number one it's kind of the cinderella thing you know you always want to root for the underdog because it's easy to get excited when the underdog wins but when the returning world champion wins another one yeah it's not as exciting so i think there's some of that yeah but uh you know i to me, this announcement is interesting. I mean, I kind of tweeted to you when you when you first uh, or texted to you when you first uh, reported it. But to me, I'd already heard about probably about twenty minutes before you you uh, texted me. Um, in some ways, you know, this is just a formalization of the way things have been for the whole of this year. Yes. I mean, this situation has been in place. You know, Tim Cook's been running the company. Um, Steve has been on medical leave and yet has still been involved in company decisions and it looks like that's kind of how they're going to take it forward um but obviously from a perception point of view uh, steve jobs is so closely associated with the image of apple in some ways i wonder whether they've clearly got a decent succession plan in place they've clearly got the right people in place i wonder whether actually in the long run this will strengthen apple because um, people will you know that kind of that um that merging of the man and the company will obviously have to be broken because the man won't be there anymore. And whether that will mean people will be able to look at Apple perhaps a little bit more dispassionately than they've been up to in the past? I would hope so. Uh, if for no other reason that uh, I think, look, as brilliant as Steve Jobs has been, he doesn't run that company by himself. No. And that's always been my contention when it when people want to try to put too much importance on one guy in one company look apple is a massive company and steve jobs would probably be the first to tell you that their success isn't completely dependent upon him and and i think it's almost insulting to the other people within apple when steve gets all the credit it's like you know he doesn't do this by himself well this is this is the thing i'm you know i'm sat here in front of an 11 inch macbook air which has been one of their biggest selling models of the last 12 months or so. Um, you know, it, they really have knocked out of the park with this particular computer. Now, looking at it, do I honestly think that Steve Jobs personally designed the entire thing? Personally specified everything? Absolutely not. Do I think he was involved in the decision-making process? Definitely. But you know what? Making a decision, being able to look at something work other people has done and say, yes, I like this. No, I don't like that. That looks expensive. That's not going to work. How about we change this? How about we change that? Those are the sort of decisions that anybody with the same sort of mindset should be able to make and make just as effectively as Steve Jobs can. Yeah, but it's it's it does go a little bit deeper than that. I think that when you look at the products that Apple now produces, I think there's a direct link to Steve Jobs in that he's brought his creativity, his um hmm, what's the word I'm looking for? <sighs> Just the way he likes things. Less is uh, more yeah. I think I the, the thing that sums it up for me is is what Bill Gates said about Steve Jobs a few years ago when they appeared on stage together. Taste. Yes. He said he said, I think Steve has much better taste than me. And I think that kind of encapsulates what it is. It's he's he does understand kind of what works for him and people seem to like what works for him. But again I, I would hope that's that's something he could through experience he could imbue and, and has imbued and his, I prob- and, his team with. Yeah, and I have to assume that that's exactly what's happened. That yeah. you know, he surrounded himself with 
either people who already believe those things or people who came to believe it because they worked with Steve Jobs and the executive team and the designers and the engineers and everybody else that makes Apple Apple. You know, when Apple Computer bought Next, Steve brought a lot of people with him. And a lot of those people became very key people within Apple. And I don't think that that was any mistake. And I think that for the last, what, 12 years, we've seen the fruit of that tree blossom. So do I worry that that Apple's going to go down now that Steve Jobs has got a less active role at Apple? Absolutely not. Uh, Thankfully, he didn't pass away. That would have been the worst case scenario. That didn't happen. Absolutely, yeah. Um, just, but even just if he from had, hu- just just from a human perspective, oh, absolutely. That alone from a, you know, I mean, let's face it. If somebody dies, who who the hell cares about a company? Yeah, <laughs> I I totally agree. Yeah. But even if Steve Jobs had died, um, you know, I don't think it would have been the downfall of Apple by any means at all. I mean, I think he would have been just fine. Well, yeah. the company. So, yeah, yeah it, it, I'm, I'm, it's. It, I never got the the MyMac interview with Steve Jobs, but I don't think he. Will. Well, maybe you will now. He's got a bit more time in his hands. Yeah, there too. you go. <laughs> <laughs> with our new co-host, Steve Jobs. Uh, you pointed out something to me, and it really ticked me off. Uh, that was. Well, th- this kind of goes back to what I was saying about the way this was reported. Um, Obviously, you know, the media is a pretty broad church and you'll get some people who will put critical thinking and analysis into it. You'll get some people who will trot out, you know, the the, the rewritten obituaries. Um, and then you'll get some people who just will exploit it for everything it's worth. And unfortunately, one particularly well-known exploitative website this week did exactly that by publishing. This is TMZ. Yeah. TMZ, as I would call it, who, um, who published a, a really tacky... Um, supposedly paparazzi photo of Steve Jobs. It's obviously um, fake. Well, yeah, in fact, um, just doing a bit of Google searching, there's somebody done analysis on it and, sh- and has pretty much dem- demonstrated by uh, by zooming in that it, that it looks like a pretty bad Photoshop job. It's, it's um, insulting, and those are the kind of things that should be actionable. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I, I mean, it... I'm sure TMZ would say, well, we printed the picture in good faith. The guy sold it to us. Um, but they didn't do their you know, due diligence to find out if it was real yeah, or not. Well, you know what? Who the, who the heck does in media nowadays? Yeah. Well, that's a larger but, issue. but you know, Yeah. Um, but the point is, is that, I mean, for me, from an editorial point of view, I wouldn't, if, if I were an editor, I wouldn't run a picture like that, even if it were guaranteed 100% certain I'd take the picture myself. No, it's tasteless. Well, I, 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 I wouldn't take the picture. Yeah. You know, the guy the guy has made a decision to resign for health reasons. Yeah. Nobody needs to uh, see a picture of how he's particularly looking today. In fact, to be honest with you, I, 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 my personal opinion is I don't think his health status has actually changed that much at the moment. Um, I don't believe this is a direct, you know, all, all of a sudden he's taken turn for the worse, so he's resigned as CEO. I think he's just reached the point where he's gotten he's gotten everything done he wanted to get done, uh, and now he wants to concentrate even more on on his his home time and his family and that sort of thing. And I think that's what he's done. I don't believe he suddenly responded to a a new a new medical change. And and the the, the reports were from people within Apple were that the day he resigned, he attended meetings on that Apple campus, was there the whole day. So um, I don't believe he's suddenly, you know, at death's door, and that's what's prompted this decision. I think he's following a plan that he's laid out for some time, um, you know. But be that as it may, for for uh, for a, a website to publish a uh, a paparazzi shot of somebody who's who's seriously ill is just, you know, completely lacking in class. Well, Steve Jobs started, you know, running Apple in what seventy seven. He's he's 56 years old now. So he started running Apple in 1977, and he's been pretty much a CEO of one company or another in that entire time. And, you know, it's Apple, it's Next, it's Pixar, it's back to Apple. He's had phenomenal success at almost every stop. Uh, Yeah, he was fired from Apple the first time around, but... Look what he did up until that point. 
Uh, Next wasn't a huge commercial success, but they did enough to get bought out by a large company later on. Pixar yeah. speaks for itself. Uh, well, and and absolutely, and and I think what he did, what the the failure at Next wasn't the um, wasn't what they were doing. It was just the fact that it was too far ahead of its time. The 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 hardware of the day was not capable of realizing the potential of what they put in the software. It's, uh, you know? Somewhat true. Yeah, they were ahead of the, their time. Absolutely, but well, we're still we're still using Next Step today. We are. <laughs> Desktop's in front of us now. That's well, you know, to, to a certain extent. So, yeah, yes. the the guts of it are still there, and yet you know, fifteen twenty years ago, the the hardware wasn't really as capable of of delivering on that as much as it could have done. But my point was to, he's been in the spotlight for all that time. He's been a very rich man most of that time as well. Yeah. And he's seen some phenomenal success. And unlike most CEOs at 99.9% of other companies out there, everybody knows his name. When he does something, everybody hears and knows about it. Yeah. At what point do you say, you know what, I'm having health issues while I still love what I do. Maybe it's time to kind of back away for a little while or for good. I mean... Look, he obviously doesn't do this for the money. I mean, he hasn't needed the money in no. a decade. Oh, well, yeah, not since the early 80s. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, probably within three years of them starting Apple, certainly the release of the Apple II, I mean, he was effectively set up for life in terms of finances. And it, look, the thing is, we we know so very little about him as a person. Yep. You know, I, nobody really, nobody except his close friends know what he's like as as a family man. You know whether whether he likes spending time with his family, whether he can't stand his family. You know whether he's a, a homebody or whether he likes being in the office, whether he's a workaholic or or not. Nobody, you know, you know nobody knows what he likes to have for dinner. <laughs> you know, um, nobody like nobody really knows what he likes to do to kick back and relax, except for people who know him very well, and they don't talk about it. And yet, so, everyone talks about him all the time. Well, the, the you know kind of the, he does have this mystique. Yeah, a kind of a. I think it would be fair to call it a cult of personality. Goes back to what I was saying before. You know, the relationship between him as a person or his persona and Apple itself has been very, very close, and at times has been virtually indistinguishable. But it is a persona. It is basically taken from how people have seen them perform countless times in keynotes and public speaking opportunities. But that's not how. And that's not how he is as a man. I mean, I do plenty of public speaking, but that doesn't demonstrate what I am like as a person yep. to, a, to a large extent. Um, you know, podcasting does more because it's a much more personal type of of uh, communication. But but even so, there's you know, things things that I enjoy, things I'm into, I don't talk about on, on this show or anything else I do. I mean, so the conversations you, that you and I have, you know, offline are not the same ones that we have while we're recording the show. No, exactly. Now I'm sure when, when his uh, when his uh, biography is published, because that's um, authorized, that's been, been authorized and has been closely associated with 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 between him and the writer, um, that that will give us some insight into into you know what he's like as a person, and I'm sure that's going to be a, a fascinating read. But none of us really know what he's kind of like. So in terms of sort of saying, well, at what point does he decide that he's done enough and he wants to? Um, you know, go pull back from the spotlight. I mean, who the heck knows? Like, some some people are in the spotlight and are very good at it, but hate it all the time they're there. Um, and other people love the spotlight no matter what they're doing and how stupid they're saying it. That's the things they're saying are. So, um, you know, who really knows? But uh, I, all I can say is I think whatever, whatever he needs to get from life now to... Um, beat this disease or fight this disease uh, and be with his family and everything he's he's earned it probably 15 20 times over um and it's kind of why things like the tmz thing kind of upset me because you know he's 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 done so much to change the world literally change the world and you, you just kind of wish that people would respect that and maybe give him some privacy that would be nice wouldn't it yeah so with that we're going to take our first break and uh, we'll be right back 
Hey, Gaz, time to record our latest promo. Uh, hang on, I'm just finishing my For Mac Eyes Only segment. Come on, we need to spread the word about the MyMac.com podcast. I know, I know. I'm just touching up my review for the Mac Review Cast. We need to get it out there that we discuss Mac news, rumors, new products, old products. We tell everyone about the great new info available at the MyMac.com website. Uh, uh, hold on, I'm tweeting about my chit-chat across the pond with Alison on the NoSillaCast. We need to tell the listeners about the other MyMac family of podcasts and what fun we have on our show. Not to mention the great software picks we have every week. Uh, wait, I'm dashing off an email to my International Mac Podcast cohorts about next week's show. Hey, we have a weekly show too. I'm surprised you have time to squeeze in the MyMac.com podcast into your schedule. Uh, uh, hang on, I just have to update my website. I don't have time for this. Okay, Guy, let's do it. Guy, I'm ready when you are. Guy, Guy. Oh well, the MyMac.com podcast talking about the mac and having a good time doing it all right for our second segment this week dave and i uh we're going to talk about older video games and how relevant they are to today's generation and then in the last segment um we're going to talk we're going to go back to tech in the movies and we're going to talk about armageddon but first david your son is at summer camp and he something is. really fun happened yeah, I've been speaking to him on on Skype every every couple of days, and he's been having a great time and doing all the things you you know that kids obviously we we don't really have like American style summer camps in the UK, so he's doing all the things that you know you, we uh, growing up I've sort of read about and, and heard about in the movies that kids do at summer camp. He's been on the lake, he's been sailing, he's been playing golf, he's been doing all these you know great activities in this in this fabulous place in in the forest you know by the lake and all of that but one thing he said to me he said oh he said they have an arcade here which is it's a good thing they do because they've had some rain um and it turns out this arcade is stocked full of old games from the 80s and the early 90s probably set to free play i I would i would imagine so yeah uh, and yeah, he said to me, he said, "Oh, I've been playing these games. Can you try and get them for my computer?" He has a Mac at home, and I uh, said, "Yeah, sure. What what games do you want?" He said, um, "There's one called Gallagher," <laughs> uh, and he said, uh, "Oh, and I like Frogger." Uh, he's eight, you know, yes. so uh, you know, not not necessarily the most sophisticated and discerning of gamers, but you know, he plays he plays DS, Nintendo. He likes Sonic. He likes the Mario games. So he plays modern video games. But he's enjoying these games that I grew up with. He wants Gallagher. He wants Mr. Doe. He wants uh, Frogger. Um, you know, Dig Dug. These are all these are all games that I remember and, and really getting a kick out the first time around. I was really kind of kind of I kind of have one of those father son moments, you know, where we have. I thought, well, here's something where we have really in common, you know, and and it's great because I know that I can get a copy of. Um, Name the uh, multiple arcade emulator for the Mac and stick those games, the original arcade games, on his Mac. Yep. So it's kind of cool that I'm going to be able to do that. I uh, it, I had Mame. I think it's. I don't even know. You know what? I'm while you're talking, go ahead and keep going. I'm going to look see if yeah. I even have Mame still on my computer. Yeah. Um. So I I just it got me thinking. Really, is is these games are, were designed in a different time? They were designed for very different hardware, and and really were are much less sophisticated in terms of gameplay than the modern stuff. And yet, here's a here's a modern kid who plays modern games, who's really enjoying playing them. You know, do, do all the games like that have a timeless appeal, or are they, you know, just not all of them? Mind? But I think some of them do. Um... You know, as someone who's been playing video games since video games were invented, and by the way, I don't have MAME on my computer right now, but I actually do have a CD somewhere with literally thousands of ROMs. Yeah. Um, the intention was always to build an arcade cabinet with some kind of a Mac inside of it with a nice screen yeah. and connect a joystick and all that, but yeah, you know. I've, I've always wanted, yeah. You, do you remember the old cocktail arcade I cabinets do. that were kind of a table? I've always thought I would love to have one of those in my living room as a, as a coffee table uh, with with a main with a main PC on it, so you could actually play all the old games. You can you can pick them up on eBay. They're norm, they're normally about five six hundred pounds. Um, you can get them, and I'd love to have that. Let's see, arcade uh, joysticks? No. For cabinet, yeah. Arcade 
Build your own cabinet. Uh, there was, yeah, I think this is it. It's called the X Arcade. Yeah. And it's basically a, a big joystick. Mm-hmm. They, looks like they, I don't know if they're selling, yeah, they're selling entire arcades now for twenty one ninety nine. That's $2,199. But yeah. just the, uh, just the, and I've used one of these in the past and they're really durable. They're really great. Um, you can get the top of the line model has a trackball and two joysticks and a whole bunch of buttons. Mm-hmm. And you can connect these to a computer, and like the basic one's a hundred bucks. Um, you can connect them to a computer via USB, and you can download drivers and stuff like that. They work for Mac, PC, and Linux. Uh, they're brilliant. And with that, I mean, you can literally play Pac-Man the way you're used to playing Pac-Man, or Dig Dug, yeah. or Galaga, or I mean, it, it's it's <laughs> it's pretty cool, but. And and you can also get that um, iPad system as well, the IK. Yeah, that one I don't know. That one's a little. Mm. It's a hundred bucks, and I thought about it. I just can't imagine sliding my iPad into that thing and playing old arcade games. No, no. Maybe it's I've, because I, I never I, really got rid of my old arcade type of games. I mean, they, yeah. they, almost everything we talked about, David. I gar- I guarantee you, if we searched online for more than five minutes. We could play Frogger for free online. Yeah, but the, you know what? There is something about the original controllers, though. I think that's the difference. You, you know, I can put these games on a Mac, and, and I will do. <laughs> but in some ways, you know, playing Frogger or something like that on a... Um, or certainly some of the more twitchy games like Defender and things on a keyboard just isn't quite the same no. as those big hardware buttons and a big... You know, powerful. I told, I, I'm with uh, you 100. percent I've downloaded and played Pac-Man on. Mm, let's see, I had it for the Atari. I've got. I've had it for Nintendo games. I've had it for Xbox and PS3s, and you know, I'll, I've had it for everything. But well, miss Pac-Man because it's so much better than the first Pac-Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just recently, I'm talking within mm, the last. Five weeks, I'm going to say. We went to a pizza parlor, and they had a tabletop arcade game like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, Miss Pac-Man on it, and I played it. And I got to, like, the eighth board before I finally lost. And it was a quarter. And I was like, I'm so much better when I have an actual arcade stick. I'm, I mean, I'm yeah. so much faster and accurate. And you can get—I mean, you can get a lot of these games on iOS. I mean, like you certainly get the Pac-Man games, and um, you can get a lot of the Atari games and that sort of thing. But on a, on a touch screen, it's just it doesn't work. really the same. It doesn't, it doesn't work. work as well, no. you know. So it is. There is something for having a proper controller. Um, but what what I find interesting is is a game like that that has very very simple gameplay, and yet it still has appeal. I wonder. You know, I mean, Asteroids and Pac-Man, those games are from the very early 80s. Mm, Asteroids from the 70s. uh, Yeah, 79, 1980 uh, was was kind of when that came out. So, you know, we're talking about games that are 30 years old now. Do we think some of the games, many of the games today, will still be being played in 30 years' time? I think so. Um, A prime example, in fact, I was on Drunken Halo with the, uh, the host of the Geekiest Show Ever. Yeah, and Justin and I were talking about the upcoming Halo 10th anniversary edition. Yeah, I'm I'm jonesing for that. Yeah, and it takes <laughs> basically it's the same game that we played ten years ago on the original Xbox, but they gave it new graphics. Yeah, um, and you hit the back button and you can see the original graphics. That is very appealing to me. In fact, I started playing the original Halo just recently, and I stopped knowing that this game is coming out because I'm going to buy it. It's it's yeah. Really cool. I've I've probably started and gotten about twenty percent through Halo about ten times yeah. on various different computer platforms. I played it on the PC, played it on the Mac. Um, but to me, uh, now that I've played so much Halo on the Xbox 360, to me that is the platform to play it yes. on. So yeah, I'm in I'm in the same position. I'm I'm waiting for it to come out on that, and I will definitely be buying a copy. I was kind of jazzed as well to hear the other day that apparently they put a 3D mode in there as well, red green 3D, and it's supposed to be amazing. That's pretty. Uh, I'll see. <laughs> because I'm not, well, I'm not just, sold on 3D. I'm really not. No, I, I'm I'm not either. I, I mean, I 
I, I like the sound of, of something like that where it's been thrown in as an extra rather being the rather being the reason for kicking off the development in the first place. Um, you know what what the developers were saying about it was that because um, and this kind of makes sense when you think about it because in a game like Halo the opposing enemies' weapons are energy based so therefore you can see them coming that makes the 3D really effective whereas if you put 3D in a modern game like Modern Warfare 2 because you can't see the bullets <laughs> yeah you know the kind of the 3D is is just a bit of a um you know it's just a it's a depth effect it doesn't really add much to the gameplay but whereas apparently 3D on Halo really does uh, make the gameplay pop because you can see those particularly some of the the, the uh, weirder um covenant weapons like the needler and stuff like that that fires those little shards of, of purple crystal that would be kind of cool yeah so uh the, so they the, the word on the street is that um it was an Ars technica piece i think that where they mentioned they said that it really does add quite a lot to the gameplay and as i say if they throw that in for free with the disc then i'm all about that i'm not going to be going out and buying the next purpose-built 3d release no but, um you know, but uh, yeah, um, I think some games, at least game franchises, will keep going because they're popular and they get better. Some some of them, anyways, as time goes on, as consoles get more, you know, robust, if you will, uh, they can do more. They have more storage space. But what what is Miss Pac Man? It's, it's like five K of cold code. I mean, it's, yeah. it's nothing. And yet, yeah, your you son eat, still I, enjoys I think, playing uh, those games. That's right. I think with um, Pac-Man, you can even run that in the um, in the Google logo, can't you? Yes. As a as a piece of Java code. So uh, yeah, I I was just I was just really pleased that he discovered this because let's face it, in today's modern world, um, not many kids are going to come across those old games in that way anymore. So well, uh, to know... come across them in that original setting on the original oh, it's hardware. Magical. You know, I thought that was pretty cool. Absolutely, um, I was re- I was really kind of jazzed about that. And also, <laughs> going back to the cocktail arcade cabinet, now there's two of us justifying getting one. That's right. <laughs> it's not just me, honey. It's him too. See, he wants to do it. In fact, you know what? I tell you, my wife will be all over that as well. She's she she loves playing games and she likes the old arcade games. So she'd, uh, you know, it, it definitely need- has to be a main thing though i mean oh yeah you definitely want you definitely want a whole load of games yeah. on there rather than just uh just one yep. just one so um yeah i'll i'll definitely have to uh maybe i need to start putting a, a little bit of money away towards a, an arcade game fund if if i had the room i would totally buy one i just there's no way i i have well, room this is the thing we have a big living room and we have a space up the far end with a, a sofa up there that we hardly ever use and it could just sit right in front of that and it would you know, it would just be a coffee table. Yep. Um, just with games in it, it would work really well in our space. Maybe so, that's how um, I'll sell it to my wife because she's been talking about getting uh, some kind of a table to go in front of the couch. I don't know how that would work because we have kind of a reclining couch, but whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it may be a little difficult in that we have to run power to it, but yeah, we'll see. It could be fun. Yeah. Yeah, and and the advantage of a of a main PC or a main Mac is that it's a still a computer. So you can do other things with it. You can have kids' photos on a slideshow and stuff like that as well. Ooh, that'd so, be neat. Yeah. Um, I know that you have an Xbox 360. Have you tried? And this came out a couple of years ago. And I have to be honest, I played the crap out of this game. It's Pac-Man Championship Edition. I have not, but I have heard good things it's about really it. really good. I tried it on the iOS devices, and it doesn't work. But on the Xbox 360, and I think it's on the PS3 too, but I could be mistaken. The Pac-Man Championship Edition takes Pac-Man, Pac-Man in a whole different direction. It's still about eating the dots and going after the ghosts and all that. But the map kind of scrolls, and it's 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 really hard to describe, but it's I was hooked. And it was one of those games that was like 1,500 Microsoft points. I downloaded the demo, tried it, was just completely hooked, immediately bought the whole thing, unlocked the whole thing. And uh, I don't play it as much now, but I, it's really a fun game. You should really check that out. Yeah. Now, in the iOS version, you say, isn't so good. Is that because of the controls? Yes. Yeah. There really, there really is a gap in the market for... IK aside, there is a gap in the market for just an external... Bluetooth controller that kind of does the job for the iOS devices, if, if you particularly could, for the iPad. Give me a case that I could slap my iPad into that would give me physical controls, 
and I'll be very happy. Well, but it has to be done to right. Do it that. I mean, the the iCade uses Bluetooth. You could do it with an external Bluetooth. Yeah, but then how do you thing. prop up the screen? And yeah. You know. Well, just you, most most of, many people now have smart cases or something like that that prop the screen up. But I want to um, be able to hold that, the screen. I want to be able to sit, you know, on a couch and play it there, not at right. a desk or a table and set it up in a stand. And I, I just yeah, simply so want to be able to hold the case that has controls built in. That's going to add right. a little bulk, but if done classy and done yeah, right. So you need. You need something like the XCade, but with a kind of a, a a bit of width, and then so you can put it on your lap, and then a tray on the back to hold the iPad up. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely doable. I think it would be a very yeah. popular thing. We should, you know, put a uh, put something together on a piece of paper and and try to find some uh, seed money and just do it ourselves, David. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I I think part part of what it probably needs is a standard API within iOS for the controller. Well, they have that. I, they don't have. They do have a just a standard you know, for external Bluetooth controls. Sure. Yeah, that's that's why they, you see a lot of these different controls for the uh, the iPad and the iOS devices. Sure, it's there. But I wish you know more it's, it's, used it. I, that's the point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It could be cool. Anyways, yeah. let's take our uh, last break, and then we're going to get to Armageddon, the science behind that movie. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight and friend to Captain Solo. Are you lonely? Is there a girl you've had your eye on that you want to hook up with, but she doesn't know you exist? Well, for $99.99, the Luke Skywalker Jedi Council of Love can get you that girl that you want, but even more desperately need. The way we do this is by meeting with you in secret. During this meeting, you give us a name, location which the target can be found, and a picture of the target. We will then send one of our many Jedi to first hunt down your girl of choice, and then use our Jedi mind trick to make the girl of your dreams a reality. So call 1-888-JEDI-LOVE or visit geekiestshowever.com for more details. So put those days of mastering the Force choke behind you by getting in touch with the Luke Skywalker Jedi Council of Love by listening to the all-new geekiest show ever, Wizard! Okay, David, we're back to our uh, new, we've only done one of these so far, Technologies in the Movie segments. And this Uh, uh, week, this is a movie you picked, Armageddon from 1998, Bruce Willis, uh, Ben Affleck, it's a fun movie. It's one of those that you, you have to switch off your brain and just sit back and enjoy. Um, really cheesy, you know, music. Yeah, it was a, it was a Michael Bay it's, movie. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was uh, Billy Bob you know, Thornton, had, Liv Tyler, yeah. Will Patton. Lots of lots of badasses in slow motion. You know, yes. lots of heroic music. And, Things blowing up. You know, yeah, yeah. But I enjoyed the movie. I, I have uh, to admit, oh, I, I like it. Very enjoyable. What was interesting about this one is, is round about the same time there was another movie called Deep Impact that yeah. had the same premise um, and took a much more um, introspective and serious approach to the same kind of material. Um, um, I have to say, having seen both of them, Deep Impact is probably a better movie, but Armageddon was much more fun. <laughs> Absolutely. If you have to and watch fact, just one, you're going to go for Armageddon. I remember... Um, I remember actually being sat in the movie theater with my wife, and we watched the opening scenes of Armageddon, which is uh, the the uh, kind of the out the out outrunners of the of the incoming asteroid start hitting the Earth first, and uh, New York takes takes a fairly big one, uh, and um, you know that opening sequence where these these uh, meteorites are coming in and, and kind of just blowing the hell out of New York. I I just I remember I literally remember telling my wife and saying this just close the hell out of deep impact this yeah. is much movie. and that was the first five minutes you yeah. know in fact the big the other big movie that year was supposed to be godzilla remember and yeah. so in armageddon they show the, there's like these big blow up godzilla things that get hit by the asteroid i thought yeah okay um yeah i like a good bruce willis movie and this was a good bruce willis movie because that's the kind of movies that bruce willis was making then um the idea, the science, the technology behind it is Bruce Willis has a deep sea drilling crew who goes out and looks for crude oil. And with a giant asteroid bearing down, 
the world governments decide we need to go up there, drill a hole, put a nuclear device inside the hole, and blow the asteroid up from the inside out. I am not crazy. I'm just a little emotional right now, okay? Y'all throwing all this stuff at me, man. But get, I mean, after this is over, could I, like, get a hug from you or something? The, the idea in the movie is to split it to two pieces um, that will then be blown apart by the explosion so they pass around the planet rather than hitting the planet. The proximity of the asteroid and no prep time, none of our primary plans can work. Why don't we just send up 150 nuclear warheads and blast that rock apart? Terrible idea. Was I talking to you? This is Dr. Ronald Quincy from Research, pretty much the smartest man on the planet. You might want to listen to him. General, if you consider your target, her composition, her dimensions, her sheer velocity, you could fire every nuke you've got at her and she'd just smile at you and keep on coming. You should know that the president's scientific advisors are suggesting that a nuclear blast could change this asteroid's trajectory. I know the president's chief scientific advisor. We're at MIT together. And in a situation like this, you, <clears throat> you really don't want to take the advice from medical to C minus in astrophysics. The president's advices are um, wrong. I'm right. Hitting the rock from the outside won't do the job. Imagine a firecracker in the palm of your hand. You set it off. What happens? Burn your hand, right? You close your fist around the same firecracker and set it off. Your wife's going to be opening your ketchup bottles the rest of your life. Are you suggesting that we blow this thing up from the inside? That's exactly what I'm saying. How? We drill. We bring in the world's best deep core driller. Which, Which in and of itself, isn't bad science. I mean... Uh, well, it's better than... Yeah, it's better than the other... I mean, Deep Impact kind of had the same premise that they would they would put a nuclear bomb in the asteroid and blow it up. That, and, and what they do there is they kind of blow it up and kind of turn it to dust. Um, the problem, of course, with that is that the mass is, doesn't matter whether it's dust or whether it's one big chunk, the mass is still the same and it's still going in the same direction. Yes, uh, except so it's for now it's you. radioactive. Yeah, that, well, yeah, I don't think, I don't think that, that, would, <laughs> that would be the major problem if the mass of that size hit the Earth. The point is, is that um, if that mass hits the Earth, it's going to release the same amount of energy no matter what form it's in. Um, and in fact, in some ways, if the, if the thing's broken up some little pieces and still hits you, then that's worse because the little pieces spread everywhere rather than, um, you know, one concentrated point. But nevertheless, I mean, it, it's in some ways it's it's silly to criticize these movies for faulty science um, because they're just movies, you know, they're just for fun. Um, but what what I found interesting about about thinking about these, the, you know, this this movie in particular is it's not so much what they do it's how they do it yeah. and how that's kind of realized which um which kind of got me thinking about the realities of of that of of our technology compared to how it's portrayed in the movie yes yeah, so they they go or they recruit the best drilling team in the world ben affleck and his cowboys and our i'm sorry yeah. bruce willis and ben affleck is one of them and they have two shuttles which launch right next to each other miraculously they fly in tandem to the Russian space station where they land, or, well, dock. Yeah. They both get fueled right before the entire Russian space station explodes. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> the, I, I remember the Russians were really, really upset about Armageddon because the, the Russian space station is portrayed in the movie as kind of like a... A junkyard. <laughs> A junkyard, dangerous rust bucket uh, inhabited by a really crazy Russian cosmonaut who's kind of pounding on everything with <laughs> spanners to keep it all working. And yeah, the Russians were not happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I lost sleep over the Russians. Not happy about <laughs> yeah. that. Um, already we're at a point that's just like, really? <laughs> it's, it's like, I don't think that's quite the way it works, but but they kind of, they kind of soup up the shuttles by yeah. pretending by saying that they're military shuttles, yeah, that no one knew about, and all of a sudden yeah. they're ready to go. But yeah, but that, but I have to say these things are pretty high performance jobbies because they <laughs> they seem to be capable of a lot more than our shuttles. For a start, they can fly outside of orbit, which our space shuttle was never able to do. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, they're pretty maneuverable for space shuttles as well. They kind of fly like fighter planes. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. And then they're going to use the moon as a slingshot, which in and of itself is I don't have a problem with. That's actually factual basis. You can do that. But <laughs> not the way they did in the movie. <laughs> So they slingshot, they come at the asteroid from behind, and now they're going to land on the asteroid, which... <laughs> and clearly, clearly, once they get to the asteroid, it was, you know, let's be fair, it was a case where production design took over and um, any kind of technical reality went out a window. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because, the you know, this place is, is like a hellish, jagged blade-like uh, thing. It appears to have some sort of atmosphere because there's all these rocks and things blowing around and lots of sparks when things hit things uh, and fires and, and this sort of thing. And it seems to have also quite a lot of gravity for an asteroid. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> and, um, you know, then one of the shuttles crashes and, and it has a kind of a, a super dune buggy in the back uh, that's capable of leaping across this... Uh, the jetting across this uh, this rocky landscape to get to the other guys uh, to help them out and um, yeah I I think what what I come away with is uh, from both of these movies actually is is if we ever were to discover a Texas-sized asteroid heading for the Earth <laughs> we'd be screwed. <laughs> what is this thing? It's an asteroid, sir. How big are we talking? Sir, our best estimate is 97.6 billion. It's the size of Texas, Mr. President. Yeah, yes, sir. Dan, we didn't see this thing coming. Well, our object collision budget's a million dollars. That allows us to track about 3% of the sky. And begging your pardon, sir, but it's a big-ass sky. And the ones this morning? Uh, those are nothing. Uh, they're the size of basketballs and uh, Volkswagens, things like that. Is this going to hit us? We're efforting that as we speak, sir. What kind of damage are we... Damage? Total, sir. It's what we call a global killer. The end of mankind. Doesn't matter where it hits. Nothing would survive, not even bacteria. My God. What do we do? Yeah, we're screwed. Um, <laughs> and just think about that for a minute. It's the size of Texas, and one nuclear weapon is going to break it in half? Well, yeah, I mean, that's it. <laughs> Bearing in mind, they used to do nuclear tests by, by digging the bombs down into the earth and blowing them up exactly what they tried to do in this movie yeah and it just kind of made a small underground crater yeah <laughs> <laughs> and yet apparently one bomb even a big bomb is going to uh is going to split this thing in two and not only split it in two so we're talking about a texas-sized crack in it but also produce enough force to blow the two things thirty thousand miles in each direction so yes. they've missed the earth <laughs> yeah. that's uh that's some pretty pretty hefty bombs it must have been Bruce Willis's charisma pumping the bomb up, I think. The ham-fistedness of this movie is... But yet, David, when he pulls the oxygen thing off of Ben Affleck and shoves him in the miraculous elevator in the shuttle yeah. and sends him on his way and he, Ben Affleck's going, No, I love you, Harry! It's my turn now. My God! You go take care of my little girl now. That's your job. Always thought of you as a son. Always. I'd be damn proud to have you marry Grace. Harry! You take care of yourself. Harry, go! I love you, Harry! I love you! Go, Harry! Wait a minute! I love you so! Every guy that watched that would got a little choked up. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's be yeah. honest. We all were like, "You saved uh, well, them." I think is, I think is, I, I, it would be, in some ways, it would be terrifying if real life was like that. Because <laughs> you know, yeah, before these crazy people doing these crazy things. But on the other hand, yeah, they, they, they the filmmakers in this movie know how to hit the emotion, know how to hit the emotional buttons to get the either the. Uh, yeah type thing going or alternatively the lump in the throat yeah um, yeah and, he pushes yeah. the button and it flashes through his whole life oh, and uh, <laughs> yeah i have to say we uh we get played like a fiddle in it uh 
in some respects, maybe that, you know, I guess the problem I do like, something that's magic. Yeah. Because let's face it, a lot of the technology we see in this movie is effectively magic. Well, yeah. Yeah. But we accept it in Harry not, Potter and Star Wars and exactly. Star Trek. So why not here? Because in, why, it's supposedly grounded yeah. in reality. That's the problem, isn't it? It's it's why, if you're going to go that route and say, you know, we have all this magic technology, why not make it real magic, futuristic technology? Well, because then you just Instead have... Instead of making something that is real. Yeah, well, then you just have, you know, uh, Harry and uh, Hermione, and <laughs> and they take the shuttle up and wave their wands a few times, and... It it's gone. <laughs> my question, my question is, my question is, by making it what I would call pseudo realistic, yeah, because um, because obviously that's the way they play the tech in the movie is is you yep. know, this could happen sure. when in fact as soon as you stop thinking about it as we've just done you realize no way could it happen. No. Does that does that add anything to the ability of the filmmakers to play as like a fiddle by making the tech pseudo pseudo realistic or could they have delivered? just as an entertaining ride by putting it 200 years in the future and making the technology super futuristic. No, I, mean, this is, this is I think you have to, to have it now. I think movies that... This type of movie has to happen now because you want to look around your family and think a giant asteroid's coming now. What could we do? So it lends a little bit of, oh my God, everyone's going to die. So it builds that tension well. So in some respects, yeah, it kind of has to happen now for putting budgets and all that aside. Um, otherwise, it's just a science fiction movie. You know? Yeah. I think you could kind of go back to, uh, what's the other one he did with Will Smith? Uh, Independence Day. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Um, it has to happen now, so it gives you that intimate this may be something that could really happen type of, of whatever. And so in that respect, yeah, it kind of has to happen now. If it happened in the future, I think it loses some of the impact. And if it happened a hundred years ago, we're screwed because we didn't even know how to fly an airplane at the time, let alone get into space. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the movie. Uh, it was really difficult for me in a lot of respects to kind of put the science to the side and just accept yeah. it because I kept screaming. No, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's ridiculous. That's not going to, that's, there's no way, but yeah. yeah, good movie, a good movie. And, and, um, just one final aside on this. If you, uh, you, you won't have been able to do this as yet though. I know you are talking about coming to Europe. If you ever go to the European, uh, Disneyland Paris park, mm-hmm. They, I don't know if it's still there, but uh, certainly the last time I was there, they had in the studio section, they had an Armageddon ride. Really? Where basically you uh, get taken to a space station that's meant to be, um, it's not like the one in the movie, but it's meant to be kind of like the sort of stations you would see in, say, Alien or 2001, that sort of thing. And then you suffer asteroid impacts. And you have to try and sort of guide a mission to destroy the asteroid. And uh, it's very, very well done. They have asteroids punching through the ceiling and, um, you know, explosions and and all this sort of thing. It's it's a very, very good ride. Very like being, you know, very like being in the movie. Um, And uh, if you enjoyed the movie, I would recommend going on the ride if you ever get a chance because it's really good. I was uh, was looking through the old geekiest show evers before uh the new guys took over because i'm quite sure we talked about armageddon at one point but i can't find it now because it seems like we've had these conversations before david uh it's possible i i don't specifically recall but you know we talked about i mean the the thing we always did with that with the show is we always were fairly loose about it weren't we so uh yeah, I, I I agree with you. I remember the having these including my show before. notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, so we got to come up with another movie. Hopefully, some of the listeners out there has some ideas. We'd love to hear from you guys. What your ideas on what movies and the technology in those movies we should discuss? Uh, I'm, it, it's a huge thing. I mean, look how many movies are out there, David. And, yeah, and most of them use fanciful. Fantastical, fantastical, <laughs> fantastic. I'll use fantastical um, 
technology in the movies to for one reason or another. And we'd really love to hear what you guys think we should talk about. A couple different ways you could contact us. Feedback at MyMac.com is the easiest. That's the one that David and I will both see. You can also leave us a message of on your phone. Well, not on your phone. You use your phone to leave the message. Uh, simply call 1-801-938-5559. Uh, that's that's let's be honest, Dave. That's the easiest way. Um, yeah. We we would love to hear from you guys. We did get some feedback, and I'm looking for it, and I can't find it. And I forwarded it to David. And he probably doesn't have it either. I have it. Oh, do you? Okay, let's go I through that I'm real quick. Pretty sure I have it. Um, uh, it didn't have a subject line on it, so that's the one. And I think I forwarded it to you yesterday or the day before. You did, yeah. I put it here. Um, yeah. and this is going back to. Google and Motorola and yeah. what happened there. Of course, as we talked about last week, uh, Google bought Motorola. Yeah. And why so did they buy them? This, well, this was from uh, Miguel. Uh, and he said to us, I think the primary reason Google bought Motorola was for the patents. Those patents are what's worth the money. Currently, Motorola is suing Apple and others for patent infringement, so the patents are strong enough to stand up in court. Although I think a Google-made device would rule, I don't think they really care about the hardware side. Um, I, 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 for $12.5 billion, though? Yeah, they have to be really good patents. They'd have to um, be rock-solid patents. And I, I, I don't think, think they would buy them for, for just the patents. I, d- I don't believe so. I, I think uh, I know patents has become like a hot topic of discussion recently, but it, it really depends what's in the patents and how precise they are and how much you can. I, the argument, the patent argument is if if, look, if if you have patents and I have patents and I infringe your patents, then you don't want to sue me because then I'll just count. You can just counter sue. I can just counter sue by saying, well, we're each infringing each other's patents. So let's just cut a deal and not go to court. And that's that's what I said. Yeah, that's the argument behind lots of people having lots of patents. But that does depend on having patents that apply to each other. And we don't know at at this point whether Motorola's patents do that or not. I can't get away from the assumption that if Motorola had really strong patents, they would have sued Apple four or five years ago when the iPhone first came out. You know, they had something that was absolutely golden to get a license fee from, and they would have sued straight away. Yep. And they didn't. Apple are now suing people like Samsung because over the last two years, Samsung have consistently produced a series of devices that copy the iPhone. Yep. Um, so that's why they're doing they're doing that. Now I know there is there is infringement action between Motorola and Apple, um, but it's it's not it's been proceeding fairly slowly. Which whenever you got legal stuff going slowly, that normally means it's not necessarily clear cut. You know, a case has got to be built, and uh, that takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. So it doesn't doesn't sound like you, you know, um, Motorola's patent portfolio is necessarily a smoking gun to allow Google to dominate the other players in the mobile market. But who who knows? We'll see. I guess. I guess time will tell. Um, yeah, like you, David. I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens, but I don't know if you're going to be able to point at one thing or the other, saying this is why they bought it and. We're not inside Google. We don't know why they bought this. I think it was way too much money for what they got. But yeah, I agree. Who am I to say? You know, I don't know. Well, I think I think out. generally it's it's it is very rare for these sorts of acquisitions to actually pay out in terms of recognizing the worth. Yep. You know, I mean, eBay bought Skype before, uh, and they paid a fortune for it and sold it for a fraction of what they paid. Yep. Um. You know, Microsoft has now bought Skype for twelve and a half billion. Uh, I don't honestly believe Skype will ever be worth that when if, when Microsoft comes to move it on again. So um, I think when you're paying large sums of money for something, you normally have a. It's not a financial transaction. You normally have some strategic aim, and I would imagine strategically Google's got a wider plan than just wanting to get one particular asset. I totally agree. So with that, we're going to wrap up uh, episode number forty-four of Tech Fan. We'll be back in one week or so. Uh, I don't know what David's schedule is looking like, but I'm still I'm still here in Las Vegas on Friday. So well, we let's let's plan on Friday there. then. Yep, yeah. sounds good. So Friday it is. We'll uh, obviously we recorded on Sunday this week because David was traveling to um, hell or wait no <laughs> Las Las Vegas. Uh, uh, so, so, so there's certainly plenty of sin here. 
Yeah, there is. <laughs> there is that. How long are you going to be in Las Vegas? Uh, I'm here for the week. I'm going back. Um, going back next Friday night. So, so if any listeners are listening to this and they're like, "I live in Las Vegas. I would love to meet David Cohen." Yeah. And uh, they want to send you an email or a Twitter. How would they do that? Uh, Twitter is at David B Cohen. And um, email is just David Cohen at mymac.com. And yeah, if anybody does want to meet up, I'm I'm here for a conference, so I'm free most evenings. Um, I'd love to meet up any listeners. I wish uh, Las Vegas was closer to uh, you and me, uh, so I could. It's been a couple of years since we've seen each other in person, but it is. Yeah. Hopefully that'll change soon. Uh, I won't be in Las Vegas, but yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. So with that, we're going to wrap up. Uh, I'm Tim Robertson. I'm at mymac on Twitter or simply feedback at mymac.com. We'll see you guys in a week.